0: afternoon brethren it is great to be here what a beautiful day it is and uh, good to keep the sabbath day and uh, just be reminded that god is the creator of course you know we have right now we have peace we have you know just safety in this country and of course over in israel just until a couple days ago you know they had the the ceasefire they have had just rockets going back and forth, bombs bombarding the area, and just turmoil. Of course, it could have escalated, and it still can escalate into just a full-out war. This conflict in Israel, um, it is, of course, between Israel, Hamas, or really the the, the Palestinians, and it's the worst since about 2014. It was sparked by possible eviction of about uh, six Palestinian families by the Israeli authorities in a neighborhood there in Jerusalem. That's kind of uh, ultimately what, what sparked it. And it could be anything that sparks it over there. I mean, they're, they're ready to kill at, at any at any time. The Israeli... Police intensifying their efforts and tensions rising at the Al-Aqsa Mosque at the Dome of the Rock. A Wall Street Journal article uh, writes, Hamas said it began the latest conflict to force Israel to shift its policies in Jerusalem. Tensions were especially high as young right-wing Israeli Israelis participated in marches associated with the Jerusalem Day meant to commemorate Israel's capture of East Jerusalem in 1967. So, so this is uh, some of the tensions here. The ceasefire, of course, happened. Of course, these ceasefires historically have been extremely fragile and we'll probably, you know, who knows how this one will work out. Israel says there were no preconditions to the ceasefire, but just that both would stop shooting at the same time. Hamas says something different. I mean, that's just the way it is. They sound like two brothers fighting. Hamas said Israel agreed to stop uh, what the militant group called Israel, Israel's aggressive actions at the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound and in that uh, neighborhood there in Jerusalem where past Palestinians uh, have demonstrated over the possible eviction of residents. Israeli officials accused Hamas of fabricating the existence of these preconditions. So it's just this back and forth. So we see this happening in the Middle East. We know through Bible prophecy that the Middle East really is a, is a big part of Bible prophecy. What are some of the things that we should look out for in the Middle East? In the church of God, what events should we be keeping an eye out for on the world scene and in the Middle East? We may not know when some of these things will happen, but just being aware of what will happen and what to watch for can make all the difference in the world. So in this sermon... We will review events to watch for in the Middle East and on the world scene before or leading up to the Great Tribulation. So, again, we'll examine 34 items. No, I'm just kidding. No, we're actually going to examine very briefly. You know, we have a short period of time, but these are seven events or milestones that will happen. Up until the time of the tribulation. So, seven events or milestones that we can keep an eye out for. The title of the sermon is Seven Prophetic Milestones Leading Up to the Tribulation. So, one thing to keep in mind as we go through this. Again, some of these, some of what we see, and really much of what we see, as we go through these milestones, it's not going to be, we won't be able to predict the time. Like Mr. Weston said in last week's um, Pentecost sermon, you know, whoever tries to predict, they've been wrong on the dates. You know, we're not going to try to predict or spend time thinking on that. There are a couple areas where we do have specific timelines given to us. But still we don't know when those things will happen or when those things will start. But we do have an idea. We can see in, uh, let's go to second, or first Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. And verse, or chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five. It says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know that the day, this is verse 2 now, the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. But verse 4, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. We don't have to be in darkness because we do have an understanding of prophecy. For the world, it will come as, as, as a complete and utter surprise. But for us, it does not have to. But you, brethren... Are not in darkness, verse 4, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or darkness, verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do as we go through these uh, seven events and milestones. So the first that we'll look at, and some of this is extremely basic, but with the tensions there that have happened over the past couple of weeks now, we just want to be reminded of what these things are and have them in front of us, in focus. So the first is the continued rise of the European superpower. Continued rise. Right now, we do have the European Union. Who knows if the the end product will will be exactly you know similar to the way it is now? Let's turn to uh, Daniel two. So this European superpower, we know as the Beast of Revelation. It's known as the King of the North. Uh, Daniel two, we'll see what its makeup is, at least in part. Daniel 2 and verse 41. So this, uh, again, the first one is the continued rise of the European superpower. It's nowhere near, right now, where it's going to be. It's going to become much more powerful than it currently is. And it's not in its final state yet. Verse 41 of Daniel 2. Whereas you saw the feet and the toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron uh, shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. Verse 42. And the, as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. And verse 44, it mentions, In the days of these kings... And that's specifically talking about these, the ten toes and the ten kings that will be, that will come out of this power. We can go to Revelation 17. And we'll see again reiterated there, Revelation 17. Where it specifically mentions the ten kings giving their power over. Revelation 17 and verse 12. The ten horns which you saw on this particular beast here in uh, in Revelation, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but have received authority for one, one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind (verse 13) and they will give their power and authority to the beast, and they these will make war with the Lamb. So this is that European superpower that will rise. We see the beginnings of it even right now, but it will rise and become far more powerful than it currently is. I want to, I'll read an excerpt from the Beast of Revelation booklet. And if you haven't read these booklets or haven't read them any time recently, I would encourage get these booklets out and read them and study them, in, get into the scriptures and read and study them with the, uh, the Bible. Beast of Revelation booklet, it says about this superpower. A powerful war-making apparatus marshaled by the coming European superpower will be billed as the cornerstone of world peace and security. Modern technology will be used uh, to create a police state uh, that Hitler and Stalin could only have dreamed about. At first, this system will bring an upsurge in the world economy. And we really don't see that exactly yet out of Europe. But if we, we're not going to turn there, but you can read in Revelation 18, Ezekiel 27, where it talks about the wealth of this superpower. So it will bring an upsurge in the world economy, a worldwide trading combine prophesied in Ezekiel 27 and Revelation 18, will be hailed as the key to universal prosperity and unparalleled wealth. So the first thing that we can keep an eye out for, continue to keep an eye out for, is this European superpower and the continued rise of this superpower. The second item is some type of confederacy or alliance between some Arab and Muslim nations and the European superpower. We don't know exactly what this will look like. A lot of what we'll see here is we'll have to say, ah, yes, in a certain hindsight that it happened. But we have an idea, we can see, we can have a a, a bit of an understanding. Let's turn to Daniel 11. Daniel 11 and verse 41. We'll see here kind of, uh, you know, what this... What this might look like, or what, what nations would be a part of this. Daniel 11, verse 41. So this section here, uh, verse 40, talking about the King of the South coming to attack the King of the North, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. Again, the King of the North being this European superpower. And uh, the King of the North coming down and, and, and crushing comes into the glorious land verse 41 he enters uh, he he shall also enter the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown but these shall escape from his hand note this Edom Moab and the prominent people of Amman so we see that there will be an alliance of some sort between these nations and uh, this European superpower but it will not be all of the Arab nations, as we'll see, and it's just a little bit down, but we'll get to that in a little bit. The Middle East and Prophecy booklet. Um, I'll read an excerpt from that to highlight a, a couple points. The talking about this alliance uh, with uh, with these nations It says the fact that Amman, which the Bible which Bible scholars uh, identify as modern day Jordan. Escapes out of his hand, along with Edom and Moab, leads many to believe that Jordan will be allied with the European power. Psalm 83, which we'll turn to in just a minute, Psalm 83 identifies those people who will be, uh, who will be confederate and, uh, confederate with Assyria against Israel, be a confederate with Assyria against Israel. The alliance includes Moab, Ammon, And Edom, let's go to Psalm 83. So again, this second point is a confederacy or alliance between some of these Arab nations and this European superpower. So Psalm 83. Psalm 83, and we'll start in verse 4 here. Psalm 83, verse 4. And we can ask ourselves, does this sound familiar? Or has it sounded familiar over the years? They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation, talking about Israel, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you, the tents of Edom, And really, this Edom, as we know, are the descendants of Esau. And the Ishmaelites, it says in verse 6. Moab and the Hagrites. Gebel, Ammon, and Amalek. Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria also, and that is, we understand, modern-day Germany. Assyria also has joined with them. So this is an alliance of sorts. They have helped the children of Lot. So the second item that we can keep an eye out for is this confederacy or alliance between the European superpower and these handful of Arab nations. Okay, the third thing we can keep an eye out for on the world scene is this king of the south. So let's turn to Daniel 11. And again, some of what we're talking about right now, we're not talking about um, a specific sequence, but these are some specific uh, things that we can look out for not a sequence of when they will happen at this point. So, King of the South, we can turn to Daniel 11 and verse 42. So this King of the South, an alliance of Arab and Muslim nations, including nations of North Africa, as the uh, Middle Eastern Prophecy booklet points out appears to be different than the Psalm 83 alliance that we just read about that conspires with the European superpower. And we can see that here in Daniel. As the king of the south provoked the king of the north, we can just read it really from verse 40. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. And the king of the north, or that's attack that is provoked, that is push, that is prod, that is kind of poke, poke like a bull would. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, with many ships, and he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. And, of course, again, the king of the north there, this, again, is the European superpower. He shall also enter the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown, but the, these countries shall escape. We just read about that, this possible the, the countries they have in a possible alliance with. Edom, Moab and the prominent people of Amman, verse 42, he shall stretch out his hand against the countries that uh, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. So we understand the land of Egypt. And there's a couple other nations here that would be a part of this king of the south. Verse 43, he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, over the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. So these nations of North Africa, we understand, would be a part of this, you know, under this king of the south or this kingdom of the south. And this king of the south will then provoke the king of the north. So again, the first item is this European superpower, rising, continuing to rise in power and prominence. The second is a confederacy or alliance with some Arab nations and this European superpower. And then the third is the king of the south. Made up at least of some of these Northern African, North African countries. Okay, and again, the timing of when all that happens, we don't know exactly. We can't tell. We don't know the answer to that. And for this next item, we don't know the timing of when it will happen or I I would argue that it would be difficult to know the sequence in which these first four items would happen exactly. Or, you know, when these uh, nations would rise and and pull together and and that, that type of thing. So the fourth item is that sacrifices in Jerusalem will begin. Sacrifices in Jerusalem will begin. The last time sacrifices took place was in 70 A.D. before Titus the Roman military commander came to Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Currently, there is no temple, and there is the Dome of the Rock and the, the mosque there. But, as we know, we can turn to Ezra. We know, uh, Ezra 3, we know that the sacrifices have to begin because of our next point. That is the abomination of desolation, which we have, we're not there yet, but it's not a surprise. But at, let's go to Ezra 3. Ezra 3. The key here is that, and we understand we've heard this before, but we'll hear it and see it again, is that sacrifices can take place there at the temple area without a building being erected. And we see that here in Ezra 3. So we'll look at Ezra 3 and verse 2. Then Joshua the son of Josadak and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren arose and built the altar of God, uh, built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it. And let's go down to verse 6. From the first day of the seventh month, that is, Feast of Tabernacles, first day of the seventh month, I'm sorry, Feast of Trumpets, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. So the sacrifices began, but the the foundation of the temple hadn't even yet been laid. In verse eight, now in the second month of the year of in the second month of the year of the second year, uh, sorry, uh, of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem. And the note here is that it's called the house of God, even though the foundation hadn't even yet been laid. It's called the House of God. Middle East and Prophecy booklet, I'll read an excerpt from it. It says, sacrifices must be presented in a holy place. But in this case, the sacrifices were made daily without a physical building called a temple. The holiest place under the control of the Jewish religious authorities today is the Wailing Wall, the Western retaining wall of the Temple Mount. Jews are not currently allowed to publicly worship on the Temple Mount. Only Muslims now have that privilege. So it remains to be seen where the Jews will begin sacrificing. It will probably take a national crisis to uh, precipitate that event. And who knows what it will take for that to happen. But there are groups whose goal it is to restart the sacrifices... At, uh, in that area, uh, Temple Institute is one of them. You may have heard of them. Uh, preparing, collecting, constructing, sanctifying many of the necessary articles for sacrifice. The Jerusalem Post, uh, in a 2018 article, uh, it was also highlighted in uh, one of our News and Prophecy articles had a uh, an article, it was entitled, Temple Ready, Altar Dedicated on the Last Day of Hanukkah by Activist Groups. So it was designed to be ready at a moment's notice, this altar, to be brought there for sacrifices. It reported a, a new altar fit for the temple was dedicated outside the walls of the old city of Jerusalem. Asked if restarting Jewish animal sacrifices on the Temple Mount would cause tensions and conflict with the Muslim world. Boy, you would think it would. Here's the answer. Weiss, uh, the the spokesman, said emphatically that it should not be a concern. Who cares what they think? Who cares what they'll, they'll do? And that only Jewish courage to rebuild the temple would end anti-Jewish sentiment and actions. We think that as long as the Jews don't have the courage to build the temple, they will be persecuted. As long as there is no temple, there will be anti-Semitism. There is a strong drive among some groups to start sacrificing as soon as the opportunity opens up. I'll read a note in actually an excerpt from July-August 2019 personal by Mr. Weston. The article was entitled, Why the Council of Elders? But he gets into a specific point that we're going to highlight here. And this is regarding what we, really many in, in the church have heard, and it's in various commentaries and so forth, this idea of a seven-year peace treaty between Europe and some of the Middle East nations. Okay, this is, so what we're going to read is the way that the church sees it, the Council of Elders, and Mr. Weston has articulated this. This idea of a seven-year peace treaty between Europe and some of the Middle East nations. He writes, The Council of Elders upholds the traditional and long-standing teaching uh, of the church that Christ did fulfill the purposes, this is talking about, we should say, this is talking about, uh, and you can turn there if you'd like, uh, Daniel 9 and the 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel 9. Okay, I'll continue with uh, the excerpt here. The, con- the church continues to teach that Christ did fulfill the purposes of the first half of the 70th week, and that the second half of the 70th week begins with the second coming of Christ. Now, listen to this regarding this seven-year, uh, this idea of a seven-year treaty. Mr. Weston writes concerning the question of a seven-year treaty or covenant by a Roman prince and the council uh, uh, by a Roman prince. The council feels it prudent to state we do not want to be dogmatic about it at this time. The point the council and I want to convey is many in both the church and the world look for the countdown to to the return of Jesus Christ to begin with the seven-year peace treaty. Though the scripture, parenthetical statement here, he says, though the scripture does not say peace treaty but a covenant, and it continues, Bible commentaries and many evangel- evangelicals are looking for this, this seven-year peace treaty. But Daniel tells us those that only the wise, those who keep God's law, will understand. Those looking specifically for a seven-year peace treaty may be wrong. Jesus instructed us to watch for the events he gave at the Olivet Prophecy. That wasn't one of them. The peace treaty, that is. And one of those events is the abomination of desolation. From that time, we have a specific time frame from the abomination of desolation to the return of Jesus Christ. So our fourth item to look out for are the beginning of sacrifices in Jerusalem. The sacrifices starting. The fifth is the abomination of desolation. Let's go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Abomination of desolation. And here in the Olivet Prophecy, we do have... Jesus, very specifically, bringing this up. Matthew 24 and verse 15. Therefore, Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand that is in Daniel. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And we'll get to that in just a minute. And let's go to Daniel 12 here. Daniel 12. We're looking back where Jesus was pointing to. Daniel 12. And actually, we can go to 11 and verse 31. It says, and forces shall be mustered by him. Daniel 11, verse 31. And they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices that's what we just talked about, and place there the abomination of desolation. Then in 12, chapter 12, verse 11, and from that time, the daily sacrifice, of, from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. And that is 1,290 days to the return of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read, I remember a, a phone call with a, it was a, I guess, I don't know if it was a go-to, but somebody who called and and asking about the abomination of desolation and what we should be looking for. What exactly was the abomination of desolation kind of the first time? What exactly should we be looking for, basing that on on the first time? Well, we have a, a little... You know, we have a good idea of what it was the first time. We understand what it was the first time. This is a book, uh, it's called Jerusalem, the Biography. It is a really well-written, easy-to-read book. It says, um, this is about Antiochus Epiphanes in 167. It says, the then Antiochus forbade any sacrifices, so the sacrifices were happening there in 167 B.C., Antiochus forbade any sacrifices or services in the temple, banned the Sabbath, the law and circumcision on pain of death, and ordered the temple to be soiled with pig's flesh. On December 6th, the temple was consecrated as a shrine to the state god, uh, Olympian Zeus, the very abomination of desolation. A sacrifice was made to Antiochus, the god-king, probably in his presence at the altar outside of the holy place. The temple was filled with riot and reveling reveling by Gentiles who dallied with harlots, fornicating in the holy places. People processed through the temple wearing ivy crowns and afterwards prayers uh, after prayers even many of the priests descended to watch it. This is what we understand, setting up a a statue of Jupiter Olympus and this abomination of desolation set up there at the temple. What will it look like this time? Well, we don't know exactly, but we do have uh, some clues. We can look at Daniel 11 and... Verse 36, we're right there in Daniel. Daniel 11, verse 36. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians and verse chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter two. And we can read verse, verse four, talking about the, the false prophet. It says, who opposes, second Thessalonians chapter two and verse four, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That is certainly an abomination. So the fifth item that we can watch for is the abomination of desolation. Again, from that point, we have 1,290 days. This sixth item is a very very brief item, but it is uh, something to highlight, and that is in Daniel 12 and verse 12. And that is persecution begins on the church and the preaching of the gospel ends. And it specifically actually begins, that happens before the abomination of desolation happens. So Daniel 12 and verse 12. We see it says, blessed is he who waits. Daniel 12 and verse 12, blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. So this is 1,335 days before Jesus returns. And we understand this time to be the beginning of persecution on the church and the time when the work will be shut down. The work of God, the preaching of the gospel to the world by the church will be shut down. So like I said, item number six is very short, and it is that the persecution on the church and the ending of the preaching of the gospel by the church will happen 1,335 days before Christ returns. Okay. And the seventh item, as we continue nearer and nearer to the tribulation, we can turn to Daniel Actually, let's go to Luke 21, Luke 21 and verse 20. So we saw Jesus in the Olivet Prophecy, and this is Luke's version of the Olivet Prophecy here. We saw that he said that when we see the abomination of desolation, it's time to flee. We look at Luke 21 and verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. So the seventh point is Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Jerusalem surrounded by armies. When you see that happen, you know that its desolation is near, verse 21. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Verse 23, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. There will be great distress in the land and and wrath upon this people. Verse 24, and they will fall by the edge of the sword, and they'll be led away captive into all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles. And how long will they be trampled by Gentiles? We know the abomination of desolation happened 1290 days before Christ's return. Let's go to Revelation 11 and see the time that the Gentiles will trample Jerusalem. 1290 days, again, that is 30 days more than three and a half years. Three and a half years is 1260 days. So 30 days before Jerusalem is surrounded by armies and and Jerusalem is trampled by armies, 30 days before that will be the abomination of desolation. 30 days passes and then Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies and verse uh, chapter 11 of Revelation, in verse 2, talking about uh, measuring the, the temple. It says, leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot 42 months. So that is 1260 days. That is three and a half years before Jesus returns. And the holy city, that is Jerusalem, will be trampled by Gentiles during that time. So the seventh item is that Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies three and a half years before Jesus returns. I'll read... From the Middle Eastern Prophecy book, just thinking about what we've seen in the past week and, of course, over the years and what we will see. But just understanding these keys helps us look out and have some level of knowledge of what's going to happen. We're not in the dark. We can know. We can see. Because God really has shown it to us through his word. I'll read from the Middle Eastern prophecy book. What should but what uh but for what should we be watching in the turmoil and conflict in the Middle East? It says, Watch for increasing demand in, in international intervention and control, not only in Gaza and the West Bank, but in Jerusalem itself. As violence escalates in the region around Jerusalem, Watch for more world leaders to join in demanding international control of this ancient city held by the Jews, Christians, and Muslims. It says, watch for continuing conflicts between Israelis and Palestinians, which is exactly what we see, and the militant uh, Islamic Hamas organization, which is what we've seen. Continue watching for increasing uh, unity among Arab nations and their uh, stand against Israel, watch for Europeans the European Union's growing economic, political and military unification, and watch for the preparation and eventual implementation of animal sacrifices by the Jews in Jerusalem. So the seven items that we have gone over today first one is the rise of the European superpower. The second is a confederacy between some of the Arab nations and the European superpower. The third is the king of the south. The fourth is that sacrifices will begin. The fifth is the abomination of desolation will be set up. The sixth is the persecution beginning on the church and the the ending of the preaching of the gospel by the church. And then the seventh is that Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies. So if we can remain a, if we can remain watchful regarding prophetic events on the world scene and sobering and sober regarding our spiritual life, we won't be taken by surprise when they happen. We can move forward in boldness, knowing what's coming and be prepared for it.